Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Love you. Love worshiping you with you so much. And so often we don't uh, have thematic uh, messages, but I, I do want to talk about fathers and men. And uh, I want to talk about manhood and and being a father, and and so we're, our culture is is uh, has fatherhood under attack, and we're a fatherless generation in many ways and nation. And I, I won't spend a lot of time on the statistics, but if you're interested, Chris Ballatin has been teaching a sermon series on fatherhood, and and I'd encourage you to go back into those four or five messages that are coming up late, but. He goes into a lot of detail about our generation and, and the relationship between families growing up without a father and the percentages that end up incarcerated or violent crime, suicide. It, it's not 25% more, it's often 20 times more likely. And so the numbers are, are horrendous, but we have solutions, amen? And uh, I won't... Uh, one of the movies, I love Will Smith as an actor, but one of the movies that I wasn't crazy about was The Pursuit of Happiness, because it was 95% pursuit and 5% happiness. So this message is going to be about 5% about the problem and 95% about the solution, amen? So we're going to be the pursuit of happiness. And so we're going there. One of the things that's encouraging to me is the heroes in the Bible, the people named as fathers were fallible, and they don't, they don't hide it. You know, uh, Adam had his issues, Noah had his issues, Abraham, who we're going to talk about as a father to many, had his issues, David had his issues, Solomon had his issues. So I want to encourage you, there's no shame in the kingdom. I want to encourage you that if you're a father and you're carrying some shame today, you're going to stand up and walk out of that today. Abraham, the father of fathers, he went all Jerry Springer on us. Abraham allowed out of his own fear, it's 11-11, that's usually a good number for me. 11-11, Abraham allowed his wife out of his own fear, out of his own self-preservation said, let me just pretend I'm not your husband, be my, you're my, I'm your brother. And he allowed his wife to be married to the kings of those days. Uh, that's Jerry Springer. <laughs> and I, I wonder if, uh, if God can look past his sin, he can look past yours and mine, Amen. And you can step out of shame. By the blood of Christ, we walk out of shame and head held high. Uh, the Lord is calling us. And he rewrites history. He'll rewrite your history. I've been studying Abraham this week. And Abraham, you remember when he came to Sarah and said, you're going to have a child at old age. Remember what happened? She laughed. Yes, she did. She laughed, 
And the men, and then she denied laughing, and the men said, no, you laughed. <laughs> and so we have Abram and Sarah, the only couple in the Bible where both names were changed. I believe Sarah, the only woman in the Bible where God changed her, na her name. And in the Hall of Faith, Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews 11, almost all of it's about Abram. His name changed to Abraham, and we see him extolling their faith and who they were. He didn't say anything about Abraham's failing as a man and the sin that he had, and he didn't say anything about Sarah and her lack of faith when she mockingly laughed at God's promise over her life. In Hebrews 11... God rewrites your history. He rewrites your history. And by the blood of Christ, his, his ways are higher than your thoughts. His ways and thoughts are higher than yours. And whereas you say, how could he ever forget? He doesn't remember. As far as the east is from the west, he doesn't remember. And he's calling men to step out of shame to stand up, step out of shame. If he can rewrite Abraham's history, he can rewrite yours and already has. So what was it about Abraham? What set him apart? Well, one, he was chosen. He was chosen. It was simply that. It wasn't that he was any more special necessarily than the next person, but he was chosen. Guess what? You are chosen. If you will open your Bible to 1 Peter 2.9, you also are chosen. It's great to read different, I love to read, I always start in New American Standard and then I'll, I'll look at other, I'll look at the message, but 1 Peter 2.9, and, uh, and this one, I want to go to the Message Bible, it's, it's just a little more personal in 1 Peter 2.9. But you, hear this like you've never heard it. Hear it like God is speaking to you directly. You're face to face in the presence of the Father. Hear it like it's the only thing you're going to hear today. Hear it and believe. But you are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. What is priestly work? It is, and one of the priestly works is you forgive sin. You can go and uh, forgive others and free them up. Chosen to be a holy people. You've been chosen from the foundation of the world to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day differences he made for you. Amen? Speak out and tell others of the night and day differences he made for you. Ephesians 1, flip over there. Or if you're in a, in a phone, just punch your way over there. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. It's almost hard to believe that. Before the foundation of the world, he had you in mind. And he had settled on us as the focus of his love. 
If you believe that verse, it'll change your life. Sometimes we hear so many incredibly wonderful mess, uh, not messages, but also verses that we dumb them down. And I don't know if we really take in the full effect of them. Before the foundation of the world, he had you in mind. And he chose you as the focal point of his affection. Not the beautiful planet, not the lakes, not the beautiful seas, the mountains, not anything but you. That ought to make me stand a little taller. He settled on you as the focus of his love. And he just rewrote your history. His heroes failed more than you. And he says, by the blood of Christ, I remember it no more. Stand up. I focused on you from the foundation of the world. We ought to have the greatest identity. We ought to have the greatest self-image. We ought to be the light of the world. He had you as the focus of his attention the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. He's making you whole and he's making you holy by his love. Long, long ago, he had decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. And what a pleasure he took in planning this. He's in heaven at the foundation of the earth, at the foundation of all the worlds, and he's planning destiny and you're in it, and he is having fun. You were chosen. Abraham was chosen. You were fallible. Abraham was fallible. And where did Abraham go with obedience? I love to quote this, my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. I think he has the revelation on obedience more than anyone else I've ever come across. Remember Abraham and Lot, and they had their herds, and the herds were taking up. They were just so massive that there just wasn't room enough. There wasn't enough pasture land for all the herds. And so Abraham reached a fork in the road, and he was the elder. He was, uh, Lot was his nephew. He was the father of fathers. He had a right to choose. But what did he do? In Genesis 13, 9, it says, if you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And I always thought, oh, he's just deferring. But Oswald interprets this as as Abraham was allowing God to choose. By letting Lot choose first, he knew God could could tell Lot which way to go. And in a way, indirectly, God was choosing for Abraham. He was deferring to God's choice on a huge decision. He was acting and living by faith. And if you're living by faith, you will joyfully waive your right and allow God to make your choice for you. This is the discipline God uses to transform the natural into the spiritual through obedience to his voice. We talk about here, we're looking for 300 to hear God's voice and run and radically obey. 
what Oswald is saying here is when we come by faith and let God enter into the choices of our natural life, it turns it into spiritual. We become, we become from natural people to spiritual people through obedience. And that is part of our, our lesson there. As we go also um, in Genesis 22, he says prompt obedience is the only result. When Jesus says come, I simply come. When he says let go, I let go. Trust God in the matter, I trust. The work of obedience is the evidence that the nature of God is in me. The work of obedience is the evidence that nature of God is in me. Imagine that your spiritual life is your automobile and on your dashboard are many different areas that test. There's a meter for faith. There's a meter for your worship. There's, There's a dial for, for your hunger for God. But on my car, there's two big dials. One's mi- miles per hour and one's RPMs. I would suggest to you that on the big dials of the spiritual part of your life, one of them is obedience. And where is it? Because that takes the natural into the supernatural. That takes the natural into the spiritual. And check it out with Abraham. Abraham had a huge, huge test of obedience. What, what was it? When he, it was Isaac. Take your firstborn son and take him to the altar. I would suggest none of us have been asked by God to do anything that radically obedient. That take, your, take him. And because he succeeded that test... God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. The test of obedience was equal to the test of his destiny. Huge, huge call for obedience, huge promises over his, God, his life and the destiny over his life. The father of fathers, I'll bless all the nations through you. Your children will be like the stars of the sky. Massive test, massive promise. And so obedience is part of our destiny. Well, great fathers, great fathers invest in eternity. Abraham invested in eternity. Y'all know the story about Abraham when he was, um, when he took 600 men And he took on to fight five kings because his nephew, Lot, had been captured. He's a heroic man. Men are meant to provide. Men are meant to protect. Men are meant to build. And men are meant to be warriors. And Abraham said, my nephew's been taken. And he chose 600 men and went against five kings and won. He was a warrior and a protector. And you know, when he won and he had all the spoils of war, a man appeared who had no beginning and no end, Melchizedek. You know the story. Melchizedek, and he took the spoils of war and he tithed a tenth to Melchizedek. 
the one who brought bread and wine, the one who had no beginning and no end, the one that was a type of Jesus Christ. And he brought that. And in Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7, it says that his gift was credited to Levi. Interesting verse. It's easy to just write, read right by it. Levi would not be born for 140 years. Levi was two or three generations later, and he said his gift would be credited to Levi. Levi was getting credited for this gift, and he wasn't even born. So fathers invest in eternity. When you give, you're investing in eternity. We're living in a world that is all about now. We're living in a world system where the Trinity is me, myself, and I. We're living in a world that's a product of the sexual generation, liberation of the 60s. We're living in a world now that has a couple of generations of teaching Darwinism and humanism and evolution in our schools. And the end result of that says, do what you want to do anytime you want to do it and don't tell me anything. And we stand as fathers in direct, direct opposition. It'd be like you're standing in front of that fan and we turn the fan on high and you are blowing and standing against the grain and you're standing against the wind. You're standing. If you say, I follow Jesus Christ, I follow the King of Kings, I follow a different kingdom, you're standing in way in front of an opposition. Remember the old speaker commercials where the guy was in the couch and the speaker was there and it was just blowing him away? That's who we are in the kingdom. The heroes of the Old Testament took 600 men and went after five kings. The heroes of the Old Testament took 300 men and slayed thousands. The heroes were the Jonathans of the Old Testament and they strapped a huge sword on their back, and they would climb up a cliff to take on dozens of warriors who were throwing rocks down on them. And they said, I'll take them on alone. The heroes were the Davids that took on Goliath. You uncircumcised servant, today you're dead. Those are the heroes of the Old Testament. But the heroes are different in our day. I, we're fighting a different battle as men, as part of this kingdom. My grandfather, who I unfortunately was never able to meet, he died behind enemy lines and special forces in World War II. He was a hero. My father fought in Korea and Vietnam. He was a colonel in the army, so he didn't take on a lot of fire, but he told me one day he was being transported in a Huey helicopter and a bullet went right up in front of his nose. My sons and I haven't had to fight in a war. But there's a call on the men for a different kind of her heroism. It takes just as much heroic effort. And I'm calling that out today. What does it look like? Because heroes invest in eternity. 
My son-in-law, Brent, often will come on the property at 7.38 in the morning, and he's walking this path around the lake. It's a, about a half a mile path, and he's praying. Now, he's, he's a mortgage banker, so there's a lot of urgent in his world. And while he's walking and praying, his phone is buzzing off the hook. There's a lot of urgent. There's a lot of emails that need to get answered. There's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. What's he doing? He's investing in eternity. He's investing in another world that's different than the world of urgent right here, the world of money, the world of urgent. And he says, I'm going to give some time in fasting and prayer to a different kingdom. When you give, you're investing in a kingdom. It makes no sense to give in a materialistic world. Give money away. You're giving into a world that's different than this one. You're praying into a world. When you Sabbath, when you say, I'm going to live a life that's different than the pace of this world. I'm going to live a life of Sabbath. I'm going to take time to reflect and pray, to read. I'm going to take time. We live in a city, Atlanta, where there's three or four wonderful things you can do every day. And you say, no, I'm going to live a life of Sabbath. I'm going to invest in a world, a kingdom that's not my own. Heroes invest in eternity when they can't see it. And heaven is like, they're investing in eternity. They're investing in a world they haven't seen yet, and they're amazed. They're amazed. We need heroes to stem this tide of fatherlessness. And I'm calling you up, men. We need men to live holy lives in a world that says, take it now. Leave that wife now. Look at those images now. They're instant. You're two strokes away from something you shouldn't see. We're living in an oversexed world. Every thousands of images, billboards, television shows, and every one of us, if we're honest, have failed in our thought life at some point or another. Amen? But he's drawing a line in the sand. He says, stand up. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. There's no shame. Set the standard. Repentance sets the standard high again. And he's calling on men to be heroic with their thought life. My, uh, my Lindy's brother, Rick, who I, lives next door, and so we, we see each other every week. And he told us a story this week when he was in college. And uh, a very attractive girl named Cindy scandally dressed, liked him, coming on to him in his bedroom, made it very clear that she wanted to have sex and she wanted to have it now. And he grew up in a home of purity and he was not sure what to do. He was definitely attracted. She kissed him like he'd never been kissed. And somewhere he made his way out of the room and down to his friend's hall and he basically escaped. And he wrote his dad and said, Dad, I, I wish I could tell you I said no because I'm a spiritual man or I love God so much. He said, honestly, I was just afraid. 
And Lindy's dad wrote him a letter. You used to have letters in this world. Sometimes a letter is better than anything. Amen? Better than an email. A handwritten letter, there's something special about it. And Lindy's dad... Uh, Suddenly just missed him on Father's Day. Lindy's dad wrote back, King Richard. Did he need to say more? King Richard, you're a child of the king and you're royalty. That day God gave you the gift of fear. Never heard about the gift of fear before, but we'll take it in this case. Men will take the gift of fear in this case. He said he's got better things for you in store and a better destiny. Love, Dad. See, great dads bring the narrative back to God. They bring it back to God. You're afraid... There's nothing wrong with you, son. God's with you. He's got a destiny. Rick, Rick went on to and has a great destiny. He started the most successful campus ministry Georgia Tech had ever known, and they've planted 15 campus ministries around the world from that place. His dad prophesied, you're a great man, you have a destiny. The enemy will take you men and put you in situations of great temptation. And, but God is with you. Lenny and I this morning we were talking about, I was on a business trip. I won a trip about 15 years ago to a fancy resort in Phoenix. I was sitting there and uh, by the pool on the lounger by myself. There wasn't a lounge chair or another chair or person within 15 feet sitting there alone. And, a, and a, an actress, a famous actress, a very sensual, a very beautiful actress took her, her lawn chair and pulled it 15 feet right next to mine. I was somewhat asleep when it was happening. And um, I wish I could tell you that I introduced myself and introduced the gospel and left letter to Jesus. My staff has not heard this story and they're very nervous right now. <laughs> My kids have not heard this story. Lindy's the only one who's heard this story. So I really love having you right in this spot. But I pulled a Ricky, I was terrified. <laughs> and I didn't say a word and I pretended to be asleep. And after about 15 minutes, she, she left. But there are other places where you will be tempted and I will be tempted. But heroes, 
live and invest in a kingdom that is different. Some of you are heroes in the way you provide. It's okay for your wife to make more money, but it's not okay for her to outwork you. Amen? I wish my wife made more money. But as a provider, I still want to be there first working and end the day working. One of my heroes in work is one of our ushers, Rodney Shuford. Rodney, come up here. I'm going to brag on you. I'm going to brag on you. Rodney. That's great, right there. Rodney is... Rodney's a hero. He and I go back 25, 30 years. We used to play a lot of flag football leagues and softball leagues together. Rodney's, uh, most of the time I've known him, he's had two or three jobs working full-time at a great company, Hoshizaki, but driving for Domino's and for 16 years uh, doing work around our office and cleaning, has a business that cleans offices. I admire people who are willing to work three jobs. I admire people that for 20 years, I've never heard him complain, like, I can't go there, I got to work. I've never heard him complain, like, oh, I need more money or, you know, woe is me, self-pity. I've never heard that once from you. And I just want us to applaud a man who says provide. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rodney Schufer. Woo! Rodney works three jobs and then says, well, I'm going to come serve at the church. You know, I'll go to war with a man like that. It's heroic. In worship, I was, um, I was thinking about some of the men who want to have children. And I've been hearing in the Spirit and through others this week, hope again. Get your hope up. Some of the men are falling down because of shame, and they says, get your hope up. Oh, I failed my kids. He rewrites history. He washes you by the blood of Christ. Get your hope up. Resets. Forgiveness resets the standard as if it never happened. Get your hope up. I saw a couple men in worship, and I thought, Encourage them to be fathers even though they're not yet. To build in them the structure and to be a father because they may have one by their own, by, by on their own, they may adopt or they may be a spiritual father to some very important young men to come. So inside, encourage them to be courageous fathers whether they are yet or not. Hope again. It takes no courage to not hope. It takes a lot of courage to hope when your hopes have been dashed. It doesn't take courage to protect myself 
It takes courage to lay down those barriers, those walls, and say, hope again. It takes courage. So we're calling out the heroes. We're calling out heroes for purity, heroes to provide, heroes in every area to lead their families. There's a prophet that sent me sent me something last night, a prophetic word, and it's for you who are heroes. It's a glimpse of heaven. It's a glimpse of a red carpet treatment being rolled out for the people, the young men, the men who'll stand up as fathers and the heroes in a culture that says, we don't like men or we don't like fathers or we don't, it's a genderless society, that they live by a different mandate, a different kingdom. I want to see yourself that there is a day. He rewards those who diligently seek him. There's a day of reward. And I want you to see yourself as that heroic father, that heroic man, that heroic person that's investing in eternity, investing a kingdom that's not this one. I was thinking of your people, Steve. These heroic men. Great things that God's rolling out before you, like a red carpet, rolled out at the last minute, hurriedly, for the dignitaries are about to arrive. The event is staged. Many guests have arrived. Cameras are placed to capture stills of people, crowds at a distance. Are you seeing a picture? It's almost like the Academy Awards with the, the, the cars rolling up and the red carpet and the fans. The Academy Awards, they're just applauding themselves, self-aggrandizement, self-promotion for doing a good job. But there'll be a heroes, there'll be a reward in heaven. Can you see it? The event is staged. And the red carpet is being laid out. Word of your arrival has been received. The large black limo for you is just rolling around the corner. And before rolling up, the red carpet must be rolled out. That which was not done for others must be done in place immediately. You catch it? We've got to get the red carpet out. It hasn't been put out yet. It's for the heroes, those that would answer the call against a culture that says no to everything we believe. That which the dignitaries from heaven are about to arrive. And they don't want a bad report to get to the throne of heaven. He's watching to see how his servants are treated. He sees how his word and the carriers of his works are received. And the highest of this world makes way for the dignitaries of heaven. Kindness goes before them and grace from them can be counted on. But cross them not, for their God is watching. Purity flows from their heart, and it washes us. How can we too be as they are? Light in reflection, glory in perfection. Yet humbly they love. I hurt, but near them I'm relieved. 
What must we do to be saved? Tell us, for we are tired of our current master. May we too become slaves of another. Will love have us as his own too? Don't you love that? Will love have us as his own too? How can we have a heart like yours? How can we live and like you be heaven's bridge? Can the God of heaven redeem and reach out to others through us like I feel his love reaching through me to you? Please show us how, would you? I see men, fathers, calling up, standing up, answering the call to live by a different theme, a different world, to live by heaven's eternity. And I see a day of great honor and great reward as you answer that call. Amen, amen, and amen. Would you stand? So, Lord, I want, I want everyone to, um, who felt something in the realm of shame to make an altar call that just says, I'm moving, I'm standing up in my heart. I'm stepping forward one or two inches. I'm responding only to you, Lord not to a crowd or not to my pastor. I'm responding to you this day. That you set a new day. That you set a new standard. And you have the courage to put hope on and say, I'm going to be the father you've called me to be. And I see a father that says I've fallen in the realm of purity. Or I feel controlled or oppressed by lust or porn. I'm standing up in my heart. And I will respond by telling someone in authority that I want accountability. I'm standing up as a provider. I'm standing up as a protector. I'm standing up as one who will invest in eternity. Lord, let us be that man. Let us, if you're serious, tell someone. Amen? Amen and amen. Thank you for your time and attention. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.